We're going to jump into the Word of God today. If, if it's the first time you're here, we're in the middle of a series called uh, Questioning Faith, and it's really kind of taken a, from the very beginning, the foundational kind of consideration is about what our faith is about. Like, what is it really at the core of it? And some of the things that we assume, especially in the church, we assume that, oh, well, everybody believes that, and maybe everybody doesn't. So we've been talking a few weeks, and if you weren't here, the first week we asked a, a fundamental question. We said, is, is there a God, right? Is there a God? Not, not many gods, not all roads lead to the same place, but is there one God who is the, making himself known amongst his people? And we believe that there is a God. And, and the second question is, is the Bible true? We asked that question on week two. And then the third week, we asked the question, so what's so special about Jesus? And we spent a good amount of time talking about the, the fulfillment of messianic prophecies. That's, you know, the idea, you could say it this way really succinctly, that Christ is not Jesus' last name. Some people think that, you know, it's Jesus. Some people think he has a middle initial H, you know, say Jesus H, Christ. None of that's true. It's Jesus the Christ. That's Jesus the Messiah. It was a big, big deal. It was a history-shaping moment when the Messiah came. And that's why there's this um, distinction between Christians and the Jewish people because we believe he's the fulfillment of the law, and not all Jews are believing that to this day. Some Jews believe that, but not all do believe that he is the Messiah. And so that's we ask, what's so special about Jesus? And almost the answer is everything is special about Jesus. And then we've been doing something in this series too, because it's called Questioning Faith, and I've been soliciting questions from people. I'm saying, do you have a question? I would love for you to ask. I've made a form available on our website. You can go there and you can anonymously ask questions. I've uh, posted some stuff to our Twitter asking. If you want to ask questions, you can ask them. And I've sent out emails. Some of you have gotten those. If you're not getting our emails, make sure you fill out a contact card and you'll get our emails and you can respond in that way as well, asking questions of faith. What's been interesting is at first, when we started the series, there wasn't a lot of conversations happening. But I've been blown away because as we've continued to move forward, the conversations are happening. I would almost say they're, they're happening in an exponentially rapid way. You know, it's like the first week I said, are there any questions? And there weren't. And, and then as we've been building and moving forward, and, and our family groups are stimulating a lot of great questions. By the way, if you're not in a family group, you can jump in at any time. So you can just look them up. They're every night of the week except Wednesday and Friday and Saturday now. So it's t- Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday mornings. Um, before service. And so you can come to a family group and you can engage more deeply in this material that we're looking at. Asking these questions. Scriptures say, uh, work out your faith with fear and trembling. It's a, it's a sacred thing to know what you believe and why you believe it. It's a God thing to know what you believe and why you believe it. And it's our job to know what we believe. Whether or not you agree with me and what I believe, it's your job to know what you believe and why you believe it. And as a matter of fact, we believe it shapes your whole world. Like the decisions you make, the way you handle your money, the way you love your wife, the way you treat your kids or your parents, it, it, everything hinges on what you actually believe life is about. And I think we can see that in our culture, that people have different beliefs on what uh, life is about. So these questions have been coming in and... and um, and it's been fun because I've had some really good questions to ask. And if you've asked a question, don't be discouraged because we're going to be addressing them as some of them have kind of lined up with stuff we're going to talk about anyway, so I'm kind of holding them to that point. But today is one of those days. I had, I had someone that wrote an email, and they said, I've always been told that you can hear from God, but why don't I hear from God? Right? I love that. This is a very honest question. 
I remember one time I was sitting at a different church, and I was in leadership, and I was sitting around a table, a bunch of people, and it was a pretty conservative group of people. They were kind of very, uh, very, I guess, proud of doctrine and what they believed and knew why they believed it and things like that. And, and I sat down and started the meeting, and they were kind of hesitant on this kind of living, active God thing, this God among us, this God with us idea. And, and I asked the question, you guys know how you all hear from God, right? And everyone at the table was like, yeah. And I was like, that's crazy. But how do we hear from God? How does God speak to us? Well, there are many ways, but today we're going to jump into the, the question, where is God now? So, so far, if you can imagine, there's a God that's been revealing himself, and the Bible is true, and Jesus is the fulfillment of this Messianic prophecy, but there's a real question about God now. Inside and outside of the church, where is God now? Or is God listening? Or is God speaking? Um, some of our brothers and sisters have that great banner that hangs out that says, never put a period where God puts a comma. You know what I mean? God is still speaking. You've seen those around. They, that's a, that's a, a profession of faith. They believe that he is still speaking right now. Not everyone agrees. Not everyone agrees. And so this morning, we're going to get into the word I'm going to invite you, you can turn, we're going to start in the Gospel of Luke. So you can actually flip to John, I'll show you a trick. Flip to the first chapter of John, and um, we're going to start at the very end of the Gospel of Luke, but we're going to ask that question, where is God right now? We have some work to do today, but before we do, anytime we open the Word of God, we come in prayer, we have no wisdom of our own, but we seek His guidance, we believe that God is speaking. And so please join me as we pray and enter into God's Word Almighty God, we've come here into your house to sing worship, to sing praise, to offer prayers and petitions of every kind before you, Lord. And now we've just come to sit at your feet and learn. We believe that you're, 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 uh, the Bible is true and it's your revealed word that you spoke it and, and that we are to apply it to our lives. And yet we, we confess, Lord, that even that we will screw up if left to our own devices, that we will get it wrong every time. And so we ask, as we always do, that you would grant us wisdom. We ask that as you've instructed us to, that you would teach us in our hearts, that you would write your word inside us, that we could live it out, and that we would not have to convince one another, but we would know you. That's our goal, Lord, is to know you. And we can't do that of our own power, but only by your grace and revelation. So today we ask that you would reveal yourself in your great mercy. You would show us individually and as a group what you'd have us to do, who you'd have us to be, or what you'd have us to believe. And may we be conformed to you, to your word, and not require that you would conform to us in any way. We trust you with this prayer because your son, our Savior Jesus, taught us to talk to you in this intimate way. So we pray in his mighty name. Amen. So if you turn to the first book of John, you should be really close to the last chapter of Luke. So we're actually going to look at Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 49. All right. And the, the reason I'm going here first is because I want to ask this question. So it, it, on the question of where is God now, I want to ask a question. What did the disciples first believe? I think it's easy for you and I to say, well, they were there. It was easy for them. I want to remind you something about the word disciple. Disciple as a root means a learner. It doesn't mean a know-it-all. It doesn't mean that someone has all the answers for God. It means someone who's willing to sit and look and listen and learn. I'm not talking about from me up here. That's certainly not. I'm talking about 
learning from God, being a disciple of Jesus, following the Messiah, being a Christian, a Christian, right? A little Christ. We are learners by his confession. He tells us that. And so my question is, what do those early disciples believe about the question, where is God now? Okay, so we're going to start at the end of the Gospel of Luke. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. That's kind of a big deal, but he was raised at this point in front of their eyes. I'm going to pick up in verse 36. Read it with me. While they were still talking about this, that's the disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Well, they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Interesting. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise up in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them. Now look at that. They didn't believe it yet. He asked them, do you have anything here to eat? So they gave him some fish. And he took it and he ate it right in front of them. He ate the fish. Interesting, he wrote that down. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Listen to the word. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me and the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus is saying this must had come to pass. It had to happen this way. Okay, 45. And then, okay, I told you I had to pray to enter the word of God. Listen to verse 45. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. What a great line. Jesus opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and I am going to send you what my Father has promised but stay, with the city, stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. These are Jesus' instructions to the disciples. He shows up, kind of freaks them out. They think he's a ghost, which is an interesting idea, right? He says, I'm not a ghost, I'm here. And he says, this is what had to happen for the Messiah, the Christ. This is a whole new God thing. You thought when I died, that was it, but it's not it. I have been raised from the dead, and I am going to the Father, and I'm going to send what's been promised to you, but stay here. This is kind of the backstory and what we're going to read today from the book of Acts. Most of our studies going to be from the book of Acts. So go ahead and flip ahead with me, if you would, to the book of Acts. Remember what he promised there. We're going to look at Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Give you just a second to get there. This is what the word says. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, this should sound familiar, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Because John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I want to stop here for one second and make a note. I started in the Gospel of Luke. I jumped to the book of Acts. Some say the Acts of the Apostles. Some say the Acts of the Holy Spirit. This Acts, the book of Acts, is the recording of the early church. So you have this moment from this Gospel confession in Luke to the book of Acts. We believe that these are the same author that wrote both books. Okay, and you can look into that if you want to. And so here he's reminding the reader about these last words from the Gospel of Luke. That, but he adds this, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 6 now. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said this, It is not for you to know the dates or the times the Father has set by his own authority. 
But here it is. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Okay? So here Jesus is telling them about something that is coming. I'm actually going to read it. I'm going to read on a little bit more. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from sight. So, you know, we always think about Jesus making a, a, a humble entry as a baby in a manger. We're going to come up on Christmas pretty quickly here. He came in kind of no pomp and circumstance, but he made kind of a big exit, you know? Like there's this moment here he's like, I'm going to go to the Father, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And then he just went, ascended into heaven. That's what the word says, right before their eyes. And if you don't believe it, keep reading, because the guys are standing there like slack-jawed, like what just happened here? Stay in Jerusalem and wait for the promise that my Father has made for you. Now, at this point, what do the disciples believe? I think they're trying to get their head around the whole Jesus' resurrected thing. Forty days he spent with them, instructing him, revealing himself to them, eating with them, teaching them. There's other places in Scripture that there are other things that he said are recorded. But here is this final moment where they have with the Messiah, and, he's, and I'm sure they're waiting. They actually said, are you going to restore the kingdom right now? And he's like, there's something better coming. And then he ascended into heaven. So, flip one page ahead, if you would, to Acts chapter 2. Acts 2, starting in verse 1. I'm just going to read this, and we're going to talk about it a little bit. When the day of Pentecost came, by the way, that's a, that's a Jewish celebration day. You might not read it that way. That's what that was. They were all gathered together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of violent wind came from the heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages, other tongues, as the Spirit enabled them to do. Verse 5, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven, and when they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. See, they were amazed. And because each one had heard them speaking in his own language, Utterly amazed, they asked, are not those men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of them hears him in his own native language? Here's some languages for you. Par- uh, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, uh, Phrygia or something, right? I don't feel bad for those people coming from that place. Uh, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors of Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Here's my favorite one, Cretans and Arabs. There you go, even the Cretans got a word, okay? We hear them declaring what? The wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they looked at each other and said, what does this mean? So far, we've been talking about the realities of God, questioning faith. What is faith about? And here in the book of Acts, in the second chapter, you have this whole new thing that happens. Now, I want to be careful because this idea of the Holy Spirit isn't a new thing, according to Scripture. There's the Holy Spirit's revealed in the Old Testament. Matter of fact, it says of John the Baptist that he will be full of the Spirit from birth. So John the Baptist had the Spirit of God in him from birth. Okay, so it's not like there's the Holy Spirit is suddenly invented here, but the difference is this, that when the people of God are gathered together waiting for Jesus, waiting for what's coming, the promise that he had made to them in this room, this movement of God happens, and, and it changes everything for those gathered. 
It's interesting that here the word says that the Spirit came and rested on each one of them. You know where else we see that happening? When Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, what does it say? He went down in the water, and when he came up, coming down like a dove was the Holy Spirit, and God spoke, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And here you have this picture of this manifestation of Jesus the Christ, you know, being revealed to the people. Here it is, God moving over Jesus. So here in the book of Acts, after Jesus ascended, you have this whole new thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes. This whole new I mean, it's just mind-blowing. And you look, and those men look at each other, and they say, what does this mean? I want you to see a few things right now about this, because I don't want to get off in a ditch here. I want to, it's, it's interesting the way Scripture reads. All those gathered here are Jewish believers. They're from all over the world. They're coming to worship. They're there for Pentecost, but they, they, they are amazed by what they see, and they don't know what this means. Now, what does Peter do? Peter has an answer. I know what this means. And, and what you'll see happening later is he says, he quotes from the prophet Joel, right? The prophet Joel. He says, this is what was talked about. And I'm going to share up here Joel, uh, verses 22, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. But here's the crux of it. I will at that time pour out my spirit on all people, even on my servants, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What I've done is I've encapsulated. You can read the whole thing. I'm not trying to cheat there, but there's a whole big passage. This prophet Joel had said, there will come a time when the Lord will pour his spirit out on all people, brothers and sisters, and even the servants will have the spirit of God resting on them. And Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you don't know, at the end of this, that's what Peter says. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus, he equates these things. One, one uh, question that I have for you guys is, are we even as mindful of P as Peter is in this moment in our, our daily lives? Do we interpret what happens in our lives biblically? I mean, I want you to see here, and it's a gift of God, and I'm not saying Peter thought this up. He certainly didn't. He, God revealed himself. But here's the thing. Peter's standing there. There's this crazy thing happening. Peter, I'm sure, isn't 100% sure yet what's happening. He's the guy, I remember, they had a hard time believing. I mean, just, you know, in Jesus, when he was dying on the cross, and, and, and he's also one that did, Jesus said, you know, I'm going to restore you after the resurrection. And he got to walk with Jesus and kind of reconcile with his Savior. But here's Peter, and in this moment, he goes, wait a minute. I've heard this story before. This is what the prophet said would happen. You and I in our lives can interpret our lives biblically. There's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing that you have faced that, that no one else has faced in the world. I know some of you are here today. I, I, I can tell you that some of you are here today and you say, but you don't know my situation. No one's been through what I'm going through right now. And I will say, okay, you know, maybe in that detail, but here, other people have gone through it. Do you interpret your life biblically? Peter here says, we've heard this before. God promised that there would come a day where he's gonna pour his spirit on all people, even the servants. And that's what's happened here. And he begins by the power of the Holy Spirit. He has the Holy Spirit, Peter does, to profess Jesus Christ as Lord. It's this whole new paradigm shift. But you see, that's how Peter heard, didn't he? In this case, Peter heard. I remember reading the prophet Joel. I remember hearing about this. And Jesus fulfilled his 
promises over us. Now, I'm going to skip down to the end because I told you that he's going to wrap up the same way here. And so I'm going to skip down to the end of chapter 2, and I'm going to read from verse 36 through 39. So Peter kind of goes through some Old, some Old Testament verses with these guys trying to explain what they're seeing because they thought they were drunk. They thought they were crazy. They thought all kinds of things. And Peter's like, no, this is God, God's manifestations among us. And so here he says this, therefore, let all Israel, that's the Jewish people, be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. The Lord's a big deal here. It means he's the manager. He's the king. He's in charge. He's the guy you report to. He's Lord and he's Messiah, the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophets. Verse 37, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter, the second question they asked, brothers, what must we do? Now, he's referring to him as a Jewish, you know, a brother. He's like, brothers, what must we do then? If this is the truth, if Jesus is the Christ and our Lord, what must we do? And look at what his answer is in verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. And so here we have uh, Peter proclaiming Christ and saying, you must be baptized and believe in Jesus. Now what's interesting here, be baptized in his name, is it includes a promise Peter says it right here, and this is where we get a little sketchy, I guess, on this idea, is God still moving? But he says, if you believe in Jesus and are baptized in his name, you will receive the Holy Spirit. The whole, we've studied the Holy Spirit here, Family Bible Church before, you know, it's this kind of, uh, it's a seal that we are going to be received in the kingdom, we are part of his work. It's a present help, uh, an encourage, a counselor. It, it, the Holy Spirit draws us toward faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, we were dead in our transgressions. We have nothing to boast of of our salvation, nothing, or even our, our uh, inclusion in the kingdom. We only get to say thank you and worship God and proclaim him, bear witness to him. And here he says, you will receive a promise to every believer. You will receive the Holy Spirit at that time. And so this is Peter. You see, yeah, it says you will receive for the forgiveness of your sins. By the way, do you remember last week we talked about, which was Jesus saying, so that you might know that I have the power to forgive what? Sin. I mean, it's the biggest problem that he sees. And Peter says here, if you believe in Jesus, you will receive forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit that God has promised you. And that promise. Now, so here's, here's the next question. Well, is that still true then? All right, so I hope you see how we're walking through this. I'll remind you that the disciples were learners, not know-it-alls, and they were figuring this out as they went. They walked with Jesus. He was resurrected. He went into heaven. They were waiting. Then the, the Holy Spirit showed up in this room. It was uncontrolled. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then they started doing what's called the Acts of the Apostles, the Acts of the Holy Spirit, the movement of the people of God. God changed them, and they moved with him, living and active. So the question is, is this reality still true? And there, there's a lot of conversation about this in the church, outside the church. Some people will say there's no God. We started on week one. So, of course, there's, where's God now? God isn't, right? Other people believe, well, he was, but now he's not. He was speaking, but now he's stopped. Some people believe that he's a creator that spoke all things into existence, but now he has his hands off. And he's just waiting to see how it all turns out. 
right? You have to work these things out. What do you believe? Well, we're going to look at Scripture again here. Is this still true? We're going to turn to a passage of Scripture that you probably know, and it's going to be in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to start in 12, actually, 1227. There we go. It's on page 798. So we're walking through a lot of this because we're going to get to the end where I'm just going to say, you know, we're going to figure this out. But I want you to hear what Scripture reports to us. So if you don't know, 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul came after the disciples. Remember that the Apostle Paul, let me remind you of this. Last week we talked about Philip. Remember Philip that was shaken out of Jerusalem? Well, Philip was there with Stephen who was killed. Stephen was the first martyr, right? He was a deacon in the church and he was killed for proclaiming the faith of Jesus Christ, the, the gospel. And he, and he was killed for it. And then all the people were persecuted. And at that moment, the guy standing there doing the persecuting was known as Saul. Saul later has an encounter with Jesus, the living God. And Saul becomes Paul. And Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. So here we have this letter from Paul, formerly Saul, writing to the church. He's speaking about the realities of the church then, okay? Now, you are the body of Christ, he tells the church, and each one of you is part of the body. And in the church, God has appointed, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, and then workers of miracles, that's in Scripture, you see it? Also, others having gifts of healing, those able to help others, who, and those whose gifts of administration, I love that, by the way, administrative gifts. <laughs> um, I don't have those. And those speaking in different kinds of tongues or languages, are all apostles, he asks, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? But eagerly desire the greater gifts. So the first thing I want you to see is that when Paul here starts to teach the Corinthian church about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, you're all part of God's plan. You all have different things happening. And he asks these rhetorical questions. Do all have this? Do all have that? Go through the list and see. And I want to ask you a question. Is that exclusive? Are those the only ways that God can use you? Are these the only gifts because they're written in Scripture? He's making a case. Look ahead of it if you don't believe me. Look ahead in the context. He had said, we're all part of one body, the body of Christ. He knew the heart of Jesus to have unity in the church, not division. And, and these issues have divided many churches. And so here he says, but eagerly desire the greatest gift. Reading on in chapter 12 still. And now I will show you the most excellent way. 13.1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels. He's speaking of, of, of a gift here. But don't have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy. And I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge. And if I have faith that can move a mountain. But I have not love. I am nothing. If I give all the possessed to the poor. And I surrender my body to the flames. But I have not love, I have gained nothing. And then this verse, you know, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres. Love never fails. You know what's funny about that? We usually read that at weddings, don't we? We take that one little thing, we read it at a wedding, and we hope that somehow, you know, and this is written to the church. And you know what's funny about that? 
when I think about, you know, is God still speaking? Uh, we, as a church, demonstrate the opposite of those, don't we? We're impatient. We're not kind to each other. We're proud. We're boasting. We're rude. We're self-seeking. We get mad at one another. We, we remember who did what and when they did it and why it was wrong. It says, Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. My favorite, verse 8, love never fails, Paul says. Never fails. You can't screw it up if you're loving people. But where there are prophecies, Paul says, they will stop. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, the knowledge will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfection comes, the imperfect disappears when I was a child, he says, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Some people have used this verse of scripture to say, well, he says right there, there's coming a time where it's going to stop. And there have been some people because they, they don't experience God in the way that others experience God, they've said, well, he's obviously stopped. Do you know how I know that's true? Because I don't hear him. I don't have that. And there are kind of self-preservations to say, it's clear. It's clear. It says the prophecies will cease. It says that tongues will be stilled. It says that all these things are to come to a stop. Paul says it himself. So there's your case. The issue is that if you read on in verse chapter 14, he starts giving instructions about how to deal with prophecies, how to deal with speaking in tongues, how to interpret, how to worship, how to share your gifts. Paul makes the case that there is coming a day when these things will stop, when these things will stop. And as I read scripture, I have a hard time arguing that perfection has come. That's where I stand Paul says, now we see darkly, but then we'll see clearly. Do you see clearly? I see some of it. Perfection isn't here. That that then we will know, now we know in part, but then we'll know in whole. Do any of us know all of it? Perfection isn't here. And so we set instead where Paul was, saying, we kind of know, but we don't know everything. We're still learning. We're still following Jesus. Let me make an obvious statement. God is way bigger than we can imagine. Way bigger than we can imagine. I'm, 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 I'm believing, and this is self-refuting here, so just go with me for a minute. But as much, the, our pride of, of what we know, our doctrine, you know, doctrine is the teaching of the church, is an offense to a God who will not be defined by man. That if, that if you or I know someone with such certainty that we impose it on God, that that's an offense, that's a false idol. I had a call this week, I got a call out of the blue from somebody. Started asking me these really, they didn't give me their name, and, and I had no idea who it was, and they, and they started asking me these really difficult doctrinal questions, and I just felt like something was happening. And I started to walk through, and I said, you know, pride of doctrine is an idol for me too. And this person was telling me, well, here's clearly. 
what scripture says, and here's clearly, and they're proof texting, bam, 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 and they're jumping around, and I, it's like an hour and a half conversation, and I wasn't trying to be right, I was just trying to be loving, and I was listening, and I'm like, yeah, I hear what you're saying, but we don't disagree, but there's, there's other things that God has said. Let me tell you one thing real quick. The book of Acts, later on, Peter, this guy who says, you'll all receive the Holy Spirit, you know, there are some that say, this is how, now they think it's one passage, this is how it must happen. Here's the order, because we saw it once, and this is the way it always shall be. You know, you will confess Jesus, you will be baptized, you will receive the Spirit, and you must do these things, and otherwise you don't have salvation. And we don't believe, I believe that Jesus delivers our salvation. If you jump ahead to the Acts chapter 10, it's interesting. Because Acts chapter 10 tells a story about Cornelius, a man who was seeking God. And, and God has to convince Peter to not quench his Holy Spirit. God says, don't call things that I say are holy, unholy. And God is working in Cornelius' house over here, and Peter is over here, and he comes and gets him and brings Peter over here. And when Peter gets there, you know what Peter says? Not be baptized and then receive the Spirit. Peter says, it's obvious you have the Spirit. Who am I to stop you from being baptized? I say that to just refute this idea that we're going to have it absolutely right. We're learning, we're listening, but we also don't want to quench God's spirit, his revelation among us. God is still speaking. And uh, you may not agree with that, and I would love to talk to you about it, and I might be totally wrong, and I'm open to being wrong. <laughs> so, you know, if you think he stopped, let's talk about it, because I don't want to preach things that aren't true, but I just don't see any case for it in scripture. Oh, what does this do? What does this mean? You know, the last question is, uh, you know, how do we know for sure that God is still speaking? You know, what if you're that person that says, well, I don't hear it? Like, everyone says they hear it, but I don't hear it. I, everyone says they see how Scripture makes sense, but I don't see it. You know what it does? It, it, it forces us to be in relationship with God. Uh, not relying on our own knowledge, our own understanding, um, and just setting before God and saying, God, what does this mean? What must I do? Who must I be? That requires me to be serious about God. You know, if we were able to have all the doctrines of God, we could just do away with him. And many people have. Many people said, well, here are the rules. That's how you follow them. You got the God stuff taken care of. Now do what you want with your life. But that's not the God that the scripture reports to us. He says, I gave you life. I breathed into your life. I'm moving amongst you right now. I'm revealing myself to you through all creation. No one is without excuse. And so we are forced instead to contend with the living, active God who is with us. I'll remind you, in the Gospel of Matthew, the very beginning of the story of Jesus says this, their virgin will be called with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That is from Isaiah 9, 6, by the way. He will be called Emmanuel. We know that the, Peter, when he said Jesus is the Christ, he knew that God was with him. That's what it meant. God is still moving. He's with us. You'll remember that we did the uh, three weeks on the Gospel of John, and we said uh, um, when Nicodemus came to Jesus and asked questions about what must I, you know, you know how can I be born again? And, and Jesus said this, in talking about being born again. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. And so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Does that sound much like the, gospel, or the book of Acts to you? 
They were in a room. They, had, they weren't manifesting anything. They were just hanging out, and God moved. They didn't know where it came from. They didn't know where it was going. But in the moment, they were caught up in the reality of God. He was with us. And Jesus says before that that this is what's required to be born again. God has to move. You see, the reality is that we can't, we have to be in relationship with God, but he has to move on our behalf. We are dead in our transgressions. And, and, and take him at the promises that he has. If you believe and are baptized, you will receive the Holy Spirit. God has to move to save us, and he has to move uh, to guide us and to sustain us. Sanctify us is the churchy word. Last scripture here for you this morning. Matthew chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. And it reads this way. Now, this is one of those passages I told you before is a scary passage, but I want you to hear it with me in, in context of is God still speaking, okay? Many of you will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. This is Jesus who has absolute authority over his kingdom, over who is part of it and who is not. And he says, many will come saying, Lord, Lord, that's the term of intimacy. And he'll say, I never knew you. Jesus is not primarily interested in miracles or in amazing people or anything that you have of your own, you know, ego or my ego to impress people with. He's interested in relationship with you. And why would we believe that his gift of Holy Spirit would be any different than Jesus himself? The reality is that knowing Jesus is required. That if you don't know Jesus, you do not have the Spirit of God living in you. That's what the word says. You remember when Jesus taught about his father, he said, if you, don't, if you knew me, you'd know my father, right? And the gift of the spirit is the same. You cannot have God's spirit living in you if you don't know Jesus as savior. But if you know Jesus as your savior and Lord, his spirit lives in you. Why is this a big deal anyway? You know? It changes everything for you if you believe God is here now or not. Even now, even this morning, whatever you're dealing with in life, it matters if you think God is with us or he's absent. We're on our own. The, 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 the struggles you face, you know, I mean, you're, are you grasping at straws or do you have a confidence that he's delivering you? In, in, in hard times, do you have a perspective that it could be for a future harvest that you don't see right now? I just want instant relief, Lord. If I could manifest your power right now, if I could, if I could get myself away from here, but maybe God has something way bigger planned, way more important than your daily need. The model is clear in Jesus on the cross that there is work to be done that is a higher price. And so let's not get ahead of God, but let's let him be God. And us stay in relationship with him. The primary goal is to know him. So those are some thoughts that I have on where is God now. I do think he's speaking. I do think if you seek him, he's to be found. The scripture is full of these promises. And I would love to pray with you. As a matter of fact, I want to pray with you right now for that very thing. Please join me in prayer. 
Now, Father, we've come here into your house to sing praises and worship, and maybe for some of us, Lord, it's been all about religion, all about rules, all about practice, all about something else that it's not supposed to be. And today, Father, I pray if your spirit is, is driving us, moving us forward, that we respond to the relationship you're calling us into. Father, that, that you would protect us from loving all the things about you and not loving you. That, that we would be so caught up in, in the miracles or the amazing things you're doing that we would miss the reality of who you are. And Lord, for those who are here today who say, I've been looking, I've been asking, I've been speaking, but I'm not hearing from you, Lord. I pray that you would give them, uh, in your grace and mercy, eyes to see and ears to hear that your whole, everything is speaking. That we, we don't worship alone, but we worship with all creation. And that you have a word for them. And oh, I can't deliver that, Lord. You can. And so today, Father God, I just pray that you would be uh, this God with us, intimate relationship. And that um, we would know you more fully. We would celebrate you more rightly. And we would not quench your spirit's work among us. May you empower your church through the gift of your spirit. Uh, that we can pursue you more fully, witness you more boldly. And uh, let's give you thanks and praise for that. Father, above all else, for this forgiveness of sins that we just seem to blow right past, let's give you praise because we are not worthy of your forgiveness and yet you've given it to us. And so for that we say thanks and uh, we want to honor you through our lives as best we can. Guide us and teach us. Continue to be with us this day and all the days to come until the perfect is here. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.